welcome to Man Up, a podcast by men, about men, and for men who want to be better fathers, husbands, leaders, and followers of Jesus. Are you ready? Man Up. Yes, sir! Welcome, welcome, my friends. I'm your host, Jared Bowman, and this is Man Up, your podcast with all the encouragement that you need to be a better father, husband, leader, and follower of Jesus. We're a band of brothers. We're soldiers. We're comrades in arms, and we fight side by side, shoulder to shoulder, hand over hand, and mile after mile until each has helped the others attain the high calling of Jesus. Well, as I sit here recording today, it is Friday, October 21st, and we're about to begin a gospel meeting in Beaverton, Oregon. A hometown boy and a friend of mine, Kyle Goodwin, has come home to preach for us about conversations with Jesus, and I'm excited. But before we get into why that's relevant to the show, I want to ask Kyle, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing all right. What should be a 12-hour drive turns into a 15-plus-hour drive when you have two little ones and a dog in the car with you. I rolled in at about 2 a.m., got a little coffee in me, so hopefully I wake up and, and perk up through the week, but always, always thrilled to be back in Oregon and excited to get to see Beaverton, this church, plus I get to have some Burgerville when I'm in town. As I was looking over your meeting, it's about people that had some life-changing conversations with Jesus. I'm thinking about the woman at the well in John 4, Nicodemus in John 3. I mean, people that had these amazing interactions with the Lord. And I was thinking about how it is that so much of our life is spent in conversation, and yet we take it for granted. We, We often don't realize how important the conversations are to our mental health, to our spiritual well-being, to the direction of our lives. Years ago, when I was just starting out, well, not just starting out, I was was about halfway through my career in business before I moved into preaching full-time. I was burning candles at both ends, being a tent maker, if you know what that means, (laughs) audience. But the, I know Kyle knows what that means. But I read a book called Crucial Conversations, and it was how to navigate the conversations that matter the most, and sort of an eye-opening book in terms of what's really going on intellectually and emotionally, and even the physical responses that we have to conversations that are very difficult or that we recognize could be life-changing. And I was thinking about that book. I couldn't get it out of my head while I was thinking about your meeting. I mean, what would it have been like to be the Samaritan woman at the well in John 4, where this Jewish guy that you don't know from Adam asks you for a drink and then begins to speak to you in a way that you would have never expected a man coming up from Jerusalem to talk to a Samaritan? What would it have been like to have been Nicodemus that night coming to hear something that you know Jesus has got a message from God, and you're coming to hear that message, and yet the message you get is not the message you expected. And I was thinking about how many times, Kyle, how many times we fail to realize the importance of the conversations that we're in. Well, uh, and I think in general, conversations have become a lost art. That's why this topic for the weekend appealed to me so much is we're a society that is glued to our phones and we have AirPods in our ears 24-7. Have you tried talking to a stranger recently? You mentioned the woman at the well. 
Have you, when's the last time you went up to someone you did not know and tried to strike up a conversation? What, what's the look they gave you? And so the art of conversation is something that has been lost, but it's, it's so significant that that's how God chose to interact with us. Jesus could have come down and simply given instructions from the pulpit, so to speak. I know you're tired. I know you just got in it too. So we're not going to, I'm not going to ask you for a lot of depth and detail, but what I want to talk about today is four different conversations that we need to be having in different aspects of our life. Apart from our relationship with God, I want to start with the relationship that matters most. And that's the one that we have with our wives. If you were to think about the relationship that you have with your wife and the kind of relationship that you'd like to have with your wife, if you were going to talk about conversations that we should be having with our wives, what do you think is the one conversation that husbands and wives should be having? When I think about this idea of, of interacting, I, I couldn't think of, with our wives in particular, I couldn't think of one particular conversation that needs to take place okay. specifically. But in general, when I think of the lack of communication that's going on in our, our society today, I think the simple conversation that needs to happen every day, and it's not a deep one. How was your day? Yeah. What'd you do today? That's the conversation that needs to happen every day with, with our wives, because it's so easy to go day to day. You, you know, we're, we're both busy. I'm, I'm at a congregation. In, in Clovis, California, and it's probably the busiest I've ever been as a preacher with Bible studies throughout the week, podcast I'm trying to get out every week, I'm writing bulletin articles Sunday and Wednesday and pre putting together sermons every week, and so I, I've got a lot more running around than I've ever done, and Jessica is, is watching the girls, we're homeschooling, she's running a sewing business, like a, a boutique shop out of our house. So we're both super busy all the time and it, it can just be so easy to get caught up in that routine and mm -hmm. not even really stop to, and it doesn't have to be a super meaningful conversation, but I find that it's so important to just make sure you make the time to sit down and ask that simple question. How was your day with the girls? What, what happened? And just let her talk for a little bit and, and be a good listener. That's the key. Mm -hmm. You have to be a good listener. Well, I think one of the conversations that I thought about when I when I put the questions together, and, and again, it's like yours. I mean, there's in different different people are going to have very specific conversations that they need to have with their spouses because everybody's marriage is is different. I mean, we've all been through things that maybe others haven't, or or we're at points in life that even even people are other people who are our own age or or have the same number of kids or their kids are in the same phase of life that. It doesn't matter. I mean, things are things are always different. I mean, one of my best friends up here is Brian Haynes, and I can have conversations with Brian, but I also understand that Brian and I are in different places, and he's got his kids are grown, grown in, in college, and one of them's out of college, and he, he's only a few years older than, than me, and mine is just coming up on the middle years of childhood that he's eight, mm -hmm. coming up on nine. So it's a, it's a different phase of life, and. One of the things that I was thinking about between husbands and wives generically, one of the conversations I think you just have to start with is how are we doing? How are we doing physically? How are we doing spiritually? How are we doing mentally? 
particularly in times of difficulty and in times when marriage might be stressful, that question, how are we doing? And just opening that discussion up, understanding that that's a very crucial conversation because you, in opening that door, just like saying, how was your day, knowing that when we ask questions like, how are you doing or how was your day, that you are inviting, you're inviting an unknown element into, into the room to be discussed. I mean, your wife may tell you, I had the worst day ever. And here's five things that went wrong right. that you don't even know about. If I sit down with Lauren after Will's in bed and I say, oh, babe, how are we doing? We haven't really talked lately. It may be that I'm opening the door to several crucial discussions that I didn't even know we needed to have. And that and the temptation is that the temptation is that it's easier, much easier to just keep your head buried in the sand and not really open yourself up to those conversations or the possible challenges or, or obstacles that are, are there hindering your marriage from being 100% of what it should be. That's it. Exactly. And I was thinking about that book that I mentioned earlier, that crucial conversations that, that one of the things that it talks about very early on in that book is that there is a difference between talking and having dialogue. If I'm just talking to get my point out, then that's not really, I mean, you illustrated that when you said it's an amazing thing that the Son of God came and he didn't want to sermonize from pulpits. I mean, he did some preaching, but the most life-changing that he did was always one-on-one -on -one in instances where people were challenging the thing that he was teaching. And when you open dialogue, you are giving the other person control over part of that discussion that you're not prepared for. It's not going to necessarily go the way you intend it to go, but you still have to start with an idea of what do I want to get out of this? Am I just trying to bring about my agenda? Did I ask her, how are we doing? Because I've got five things I want to talk about, or is it my agenda to really know how my wife is doing spiritually, how she's doing emotionally, living what, is, what are we, 1,800 miles away from her parents and and <laughs> in a, a stranger in a strange land kind of scenario? I mean, you don't get a stranger in Portland, right? <laughs> mm -hmm. That's like, for sure. Yeah. Like, hey, that's my hometown. Don't go pick it on. No, no, no you wrong. But one of the other things that I was, I was thinking about, when you ask a question like, how are we doing? And you're opening that door to dialogue. If we're going to have this conversation and ceding control over, over to the other person and you're inviting their input, we maybe ought to be asking our wives, how am I doing as a husband? How am I doing as a father? I mean, we like to give ourselves A pluses and gold stars, but how are you as the mother of our children, our case child, how, how do you observe me as a father? Am I doing a good job? Where am I falling down and I don't see it? You're inviting in that critique. You're inviting in that criticism, and you've got to be sure that you emotionally are ready to hear that critique. You're ready to hear that criticism. You have to make it a safe space. Don't open a door to a conversation like, how are we doing? And not be able to hear the criticism. Yeah, and that's, that's such a difficult thing. Like I said earlier, when, when things are stressful or difficult, if you're not getting that feedback, you can assume 
like you said, give yourself the gold star. You can assume things are fine or things are okay or that you're doing better than you actually are. I can speak from experience. I've moved four times over a two-year period that led up to where I am in California now. Mm. Uh, And that was all predicated upon my wife's brother passed away in in a, a very difficult manner at a very young age. And so you talked about your in-laws are 1800 miles away. Mine are 18 feet away in the house next door to us. It's a good thing, but we've had a lot of stress and there were times where I I can see when things are stressful, when there is heartache involved or grief, the natural tendency is to shut down communication, but that is not the healthy thing. So it's not the easiest conversation to have because of the vulnerability. And that's, that's, you talked about the most important relationship next to, you know, superseded only by your relationship with God is marriage. And that's, that's the real challenge with marriage is it is the most vulnerable relationship. This is the person that will closest see you to, to as you really are. It's, it's the most vulnerable relationship you'll have. And I see why a lot of men, why they want to avoid those conversations but your marriage isn't going to grow or thrive. Well, and that's part of the realization that you have to have from the beginning is the reason why I want to have this conversation is is it's not just another conversation. When it comes to our wives, we have a goal. And, and I think that's often what we lose, why there is so much disagreement between husbands and wives, why there's so much stress, whether it's in the realm of of the kids or or like you said, the relationship we have with in-laws sometimes or sometimes it's finances that that we we don't have a goal or we we're not willing to communicate the things that matter the most, that we're the most worried about. And if we don't have a goal in mind and we're just opening a door, the other person doesn't know how to interpret that. We're not giving them a rubric that they can understand, okay, this is what I'm concerned with. And And that's another type of conversation that we need to be having with our spouses. Here's what I'm concerned with. I've known people who have had the conversation with their spouse that there is a person at work that has their sight set on me and it's something I'm not wanting to fall into, but I just want you to know that I regard this person as dangerous and so I'm being cautious around them. I've known people that have had those kinds of difficult conversations with their wife or vice versa, wives with their husbands. But talking about the pitfalls and snares, you see the devil trying to create. You can have that kind of conversation. They can be watchful in terms of your behavior. That's part of creating that safe space to talk about anything. It's not you and I at different ends of this. It's you and I figuring out how to navigate this. And if we don't have that as our end, if I have my agenda and I know it's going to be contrary to your agenda— and I'm already already preparing for a conversation that's not going to be a dialogue. It's not going to be a connection between you and I. You're going to have your position. I'm going to have my position. Then I'm already starting out on the wrong foot, so to speak. Well, and when it comes to talking about things at work, things with the church, things that are, are stressful to me, I always tell people this is just something maybe preachers will get more out of this than others, but I think it works universally. When someone comes to me and says, can you keep a secret? I don't write a blank check to them. I say, it depends on what you're going to tell me. If I need to take it to the elders, I will. And I don't tend to keep secrets from my wife. So I make that clear up front that 
with, with Jessica, there's, there's kind of a cone of silence when I need to talk about things that difficult situations or stressful interactions or, or just, I, that, that's something I try to make clear to people like, look, if I, I don't keep secrets from my wife. So if, if my judgment mm-hmm. says I shouldn't bring this up to her, I won't, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to lie to keep your secrets for you. So right. I just, I have a no blank check policy. I don't, I don't write people those blank checks. Cause yeah, I want to be able to have someone, I want to be able to have someone to, to talk to even, even if it's just airing some things out or, or talking through some issues. So, you know, one of the other things that we need to be aware of, and I mentioned not starting out looking to have a negative experience, but one of the things that we need to, to also be aware of is, is when the conversations we're having are going in unproductive directions particularly when it comes to our spouse. Are, are you trying to give me, are you trying to give me a hint right now? <laughs> no, <laughs> I didn't think about it. It's an interesting segue though. No, but, but I mean, I'm serious that, that we can be talking about something. I mean, we've all had, had the dumb fights over things where they, at the end of the day, you look at it, you know, that really just didn't matter a lot. Why were we arguing about that? And, but there are other times when we have these conversations and we just we you sort of feel it in your gut. I mean, some people feel it in their gut. Some people are more emotionally aware. Some people almost describe it like having an outer body experience, like I heard myself saying things and I don't know where those words were coming from. We need to be aware that that it's not just the content of what we're discussing. It's the context that we're discussing it in. And oftentimes there is wisdom when we when we know that a conversation we're having with our spouse is going to be a difficult one, it's about their behavior or they're wanting to talk to us about our behavior, or it's about some challenging circumstance that's going to mean difficult choices have to be made in our lives. We need to realize, okay, this is a conversation that we need to step away from, or maybe I need to take a different tact. And that all comes from this point of empathy. That's why I like your your idea of one of the most basic conversations that we ought to be having every day is how was your day? How did you read the day that you had? Because it starts with empathy. And so many of the conversations we have today are about putting out information rather than really connecting with people. Guys, there's a reason why emotional connection is called intimacy. It's because it binds you together. And if you want better, and this is not cliche, but if you want better physical intimacy you need to have connected with her now you don't it's not necessarily you're not doing this because a precedes b but you need to right have this kind of emotional connection with her where she feels like okay he wants to know me and i feel safe and i can trust him with this and that's a reassurance and an affirmation that our wives need on a regular basis that lauren likes to talk to me and even though she knows me she likes to to reassure herself okay he's not taking his hand off the wheel spiritually he's not going on autopilot he's thinking about our family he's thinking about how will is going to be raised and that type of thought that type of conversation builds a level of trust that affects every other aspect of your marriage totally agree so before we move on to the next conversation, any other conversations that you think that guys need to be having regularly 
with their wives, not without their wives. I can't really think of anything. Okay. Well, let's let's move on to a different type of relationship then. Arguably, our children are probably the people that we talk to more than anybody, maybe even more than our spouse. And again, there's often very crucial conversations. If we're not careful, they're governed purely by the emotions of the conversation and not the direction that we're wanting things to go. We're not listening to what their needs are. We're just expressing frustration or we're venting or we're trying to push or prod to go in a certain direction. I, th- I think a lot of a lot of parenting is just saying no or not yet. <laughs> but when it comes to yeah. when it comes to our kids, I I've got one son, but I I think this is probably a question for dads that are raising sons or daughters that it the answer might change a little bit as they get older. The conversations that you have with your son, there might be specific conversations you have with him that a daughter needs a different conversation. But what are some conversations that we ought to be having with our kids early on that maybe we're just not having? Well, and I certainly think some of that does depend upon you and I might have different answers. I've, you've got a boy, I've got girls. Mm-hmm. And you're, you're wrong about that too, about I talk with them. Rather, it's more that they talk to me more than anyone else. I, I can't get them to stop talking sometimes. And Same. That, that is, <laughs> and, and that is, that is the thing there is, is it's easy to fail to recognize because they talk so much. It's sometimes you fail to recognize when they're talking about something important or when you have a, a moment where you can actually have a, a significant conversation with them. And this is one that, you know, I've got a seven and a three-year-old, so we'll see how those conversations go as they get older. But this is one that. I think depending on their age, there are conversations that need to happen. There are times where our tendency is going to be to shy away from something, though for a different reason. Uh I think with our kids, we avoid a lot of conversations because something might be embarrassing or awkward, and we're afraid of, we want our kids to like us, or we avoid something because we don't want to be the bad guy. So mm-hmm. I think I, I keep coming back to reasons why we avoid conversations and w- with our kids, we need to remember, I want them to like me, but I want them to respect me most. That's the thing mm-hmm. I want most from my kids. I hope they like me. I hope they think my lame jokes are funny and all that, but more than anything, I, I guess I don't want to stand before God as an Eli, someone who failed to correct their children. Right for whatever reason. Well, I think that's part of knowing how to correct your children is you don't know your children unless you're having dialogue with them. Sometimes we'll we'll do something and I'll my knee-jerk reaction is okay, that needs to stop. But if I listen to the explanation of why he's doing the thing, then I realize okay, he didn't understand. Part of connecting with them is is recognizing that, yes, they need to see me as an authority, but I want them to see me the same way, and I think you were just alluding to this, the same way God wants us to see him. There needs to be this healthy kind of fear that I, I need to, that dad has the authority, 
but there also need he also needs to know that dad is somebody that I can talk to about anything. Because kids don't know how to navigate life, and you just said it, any conversation you're having with them could become a crucial one. You're hearing stories about Roblox or the the latest video game he wants or who got a new scooter on the street. And then without any kind of segue at all, he's suddenly talking about things that, okay, I need to step in here as the dad and talk about, do you understand when your friends talk about X, Y, or Z, what they're really talking about? And that's where we need to be prepared. Yes, prepared and present. Because if we're not going to have those conversations, it's just a a click away on the computer or asking, hey, Google or hey, Siri, do you really? Your kids are naturally curious and have questions. That's right. And they're going to ask questions that that I might not want to answer. It might make me blush a little bit. Like, I don't want to have this conversation with my daughters, but... I want to be the one framing their understanding of what, like, like you said, X, Y, or Z, whatever topic it is. Yeah. I want to be the one. Because it's not just any one topic. Biblical way. Right. And so I want to be sure that I'm being proactive and I'm the one framing it in a biblical sense. Uh, Mm -hmm. Not that they're finding their answers from the internet, from their phone or from friends at school. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of these conversations, like I said, and like you were saying, come up in the middle of things that seem... I can zone out on this. I mean, I don't really care what kid has what scooter or what crazy thing they did on it. But when that story segues into, hey, Dad, I guess I should should use different names than the kids that actually live on our street. But, <laughs> hey, hey, Dad, Adam said this. And it bothered me. If I'm in the zone out mode, if I'm not present in that conversation, then... I may respond with a, well, don't say that kind of kind of response, but I haven't really addressed the root issue of, okay, that made you feel a certain way. Let's, let's talk about why it made you feel that way. Let, let's talk yeah. about what's, what's lying under there. And I, I say this a lot on the programs. I mean, particularly when it comes to the conversations surrounding sex, you may think you're getting ahead of the curve, but I can promise you when you think that the umpire shouting play ball, the devil's already got a runner on second. It's just part of our culture. You need to be, and I'm not saying you have giant conversations that are over their head, but you need to be preparing them by talking about what is appropriate and inappropriate and thinking about the content of movies and television that you're watching, even innuendos that you think are going over their head. I mean, sometimes Will will watch something and I'll, and it's a cartoon, I'm going to zone this out and work, and he'll say, hey, Dad, what'd that mean? And I'll back it up and realize that there was an innuendo there. I never even noticed. And, I, you know, okay, well, that's just not something you're ready to talk about yet. It was a joke for older people, a mental note about that kind of thing. Yeah. It's, it's got to be age appropriate. There, there is a sense yeah. where you want to protect their innocence, but totally avoiding it is, is not the answer either. Right. And, and so I, I thought of a couple different answers to this question. And one of them is just like what I said about your wife conversation you need to have every day same thing with your kids again Mm -hmm. what'd you learn at school how was your day tell me tell me something you did today and then it's having that awareness that we discussed to pick up not every conversation is going to have something that you need to pounce on you need to have that awareness where that opportunity is there but if if your kid gets home and goes straight to the tv or goes straight to their phone and you're okay with that 
you're not having that interaction. You're not having that presence in their life. Yeah. Well, and I think part of it, part of it comes down to, like you said, those, those same kinds of questions. So for me, it's how are you doing? How am I doing as a dad? <laughs> Sometimes I'll ask Will that. He's like, well, dad, I think we could spend a little more money on Legos. I'm like, okay, that's not a real answer to the question, buddy. <laughs> I applaud the brazenness with which you presented that option to me, <laughs> you know, you know, stating your case. But but sometimes he'll say, here's something I'm worried about. Or he'll ask me, Dad, it looks like you're worried about something. And those are times when you have to choose. Am I going to have this crucial conversation with him? And again, you got to keep it age appropriate. Sometimes I'm worried about things going on in the world, and he needs to know a little bit about them. And sometimes it's things going on in the lives of other people that are around us, and he doesn't necessarily need to know about that. But I think one of the things we have to realize as fathers is we're we're discussing things with our kids all the time, even when we aren't, that they're always listening. And we need to be aware that conversations that they are not even part of, they're in because of exactly the reason that you said, they're naturally curious. And so how do they see us honoring God? How do they see us talking about our wives? How do they see us talking about our brethren? How do they see us dealing with frustration and sadness and grief and joy? How are, how are they seeing us even at times when we're not talking directly to them? I think that's really important, the way we talk about other people. Do, do we gripe or complain about certain people, frustrations that we have, or do we speak about them in, in a loving way? That's very important for kids to see that mm. modeled. And that takes some wisdom and it takes some, it takes us being intentional about the kind of people that we want to raise and who we want them to become. So what are some other conversations? I mean, obviously the big ones that that we mentioned earlier, but what are some other conversations that might be deeper than we actually think they are? I think on the other side of that coin, there are are moments or opportunities I want to recognize when like we talked about conversations with our wives, the vulnerability, where maybe I need to share with my, with my children some of my flaws or some of the mistakes yeah. I've made. And on the one hand, I don't, maybe it's a, it's a selfish or a proud side, but you don't want to ruin that, that image that your kids have of you, that you're a superhero. That's only normal or natural. You don't want to, you like that feeling, but I think there's, there's something important and significant and sharing with them that you've made mistakes and you want to, you want to be explaining to them the, the lessons you've learned from those mistakes. You don't want to necessarily undermine their confidence in, in you as, as, uh, as someone who, who has wisdom or, or can give them guidance, but sharing, (laughs) make, being a little vulnerable and sharing some of those lessons you learned the hard way can help them realize and, and maybe understand and cope with when they struggle or when they fail at times that it's not because they're a failure or that their failure is unique to them, but that it's a common and shared experience for all mankind that we all fail at times. And that's really how we grow. So I think that's an important yeah. conversation to have too, is say, Hey, I've been there. You're hurting or you, you messed up or you did this, or you made a bad choice. Let me tell you about a time where I had to, you know, or grandpa Paul had to give me the lecture. Mm-hmm. And that's such an important thought. And I don't know how many of the the 
back episodes you've listened to, and I mean, the podcast is growing, but it's still only a year old. So we're finding a new audience every day. But I've done two separate interviews with Josh Ellis, a preacher and a therapist and actually professor out of Texas. And it's, so it's actually four sessions, I think, in total, and it was two different interviews. But that's one of the things that he talked about is helping our kids understand the difference between not succeeding and being a failure. And one of the things that kids write on their hearts so quickly is the idea that I have failed or I am a failure. Our words can amplify those messages in the wrong way. The most important lessons that we learn in life come from times when we don't succeed. And framing not succeeding in a way to where that is not failure. It's just you didn't succeed. You failed, but you're not a failure kind of thing. Right. That can do so much to improve their outlook spiritually. The kinds of dialogue that parents often had with their kids centered around emotional overtones that weren't healthy. You're disappointing me using shame as a tool for correction rather than setting the expectation of this is what I want for you. What we don't help our kids realize is that the path forward is humility. It's the humility to get back up again and try it again. And this time I'm going to try it God's way. I didn't do it last time. I didn't succeed. Yeah. I'm going to try it God's way. That's one of the great things about God the mercy, the forgiveness that he has to let us get up and try it again. It's the same kind of thing Paul's talking about in 1 Corinthians 3 when he talks about the work of men is tested, and if it's burned up, then he might be saved because what he built was burned up. He gets a chance to start over and do it again and do it right this time. And so often, if we would have the grace for our kids that God has for us, then we would help them see God better. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I might be a bit younger than you, but I like to point out to people, I'm pretty high mileage for my age. Well, you're not, you're not drastically younger, but. Yeah. Well, and I figure if, if it's, if it's on the, on the table for, for people to identify as a different gender, then I can identify as a different generation, right? I, I might yeah. be technically a millennial, yeah. but I identify as Gen X. So, but that being well, I'm said, definitely like, Gen X. <laughs> Just don't say boomer. <laughs> I get when I frame this conversation with, with my kids and, and talk about my failures, it's that I want them to see the lessons I learned from my failures. And that's ultimately, like you were saying, that's ultimately what I want my kids to take away from when they did something wrong or when they did not succeed at something right. uh, and, and they have feelings of hurt or they, they have feelings of, of failure. I want them to give them the tools to ultimately find a, Find that grace, find that, that redemption that comes through failure, find that, that lesson that needs to be learned and, and not be afraid to try again. Right. Well, and part of that just comes down to empathy again. I mean, we want to have conversations with our children that inspire them to be better. But oftentimes we take the approach to that conversation of, it's emotionally manipulative. This is how you disappointed me. And and we try to try to hit them in the emotional space rather than getting to the will. 
And that's what we're trying to do is get to the will of the person. I want you to change your behavior because I want you to want better for yourself. Right. And I know you want a better outcome and there is a better outcome to be had. Had I, I know you messed up. I've messed up in the same way, but I also know that you can do better than this. And I know you want to do better than this. And that's really the point that we're trying to lead them into. And that sort of brings us maybe to the third question that I had for you. Those are also the conversations we need to be having with ourselves that, hey, this is not the end. I've still got breath. I've still got opportunity. This is not the end, but there's going to be some difficulty associated with it maybe, but this isn't the end of me. Yeah, naturally, this question, my mind took me to contemplate my past failures. And that's a conversation that as far as, and I wonder if I'm the only one that does this, I will often start talking to myself as if I'm someone different giving a lecture to, but I'm talking to myself, but in, in the Oh yeah, you're totally part, weird in that. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure it's unique to me, but, but that's where my mind went on this question is, is a conversation about, I look back and I see periods of time where I wasn't making the most of it. I was coasting through and that's really disappointing to know. Okay. I'm 37 in a couple, in a couple weeks. Mm -hmm. and, okay. You might say approaching that midlife point and, and that's where my mind starts being drawn to. How have I used the time I've been given? And I can see a lot of ways where I wish I'd have done more, or I wish I'd have done this differently, or I wish I had taken advantage of this opportunity while it was there. And it can be very discouraging to look back and see the failures. And sometimes that conversation I want to give with myself is, or have with myself is just, don't let this hold you back. What right. lessons can I learn from this? What did I, what, what did I fail to take advantage of? What lessons can I learn? How would I do this differently? But I want to say to myself, just move on, move forward and, and don't let those failures keep you from accomplishing more in the future. Thinking about that, I think some of the conversations that we need to have with ourselves, like you said, can be helpful to go back and revisit those moments where we failed in the past and sort of do a, do a postmortem on them. But we also need to be careful about living in those moments. That I mean, the Apostle Paul could say that uh, I know it's a trustworthy statement that Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am the foremost. He says, I have absolute trust in this. That, mean, that doesn't mean that Paul forgot his past failures, but he, he also didn't allow those failures to define his day-to-day -day relationship with God or his sense of, of God being able to forgive him or allow him to move past that. That opens a very big door to go and look at, at passages like the Psalms. When you think about David and the conversations, and really maybe these are more, more conversations that we need to have with God, but they start with conversations that we're having with ourselves. I think about the 15th Psalm, Lord, who may abide in your tent, who may dwell on your holy hill. And he begins to talk about, okay, this is who I have to be if I want to be with God. Well, that's a conversation that I need to be having on a regular basis. Am I living up to who I need to be to be with God? knowing that God meets me with mercy and forgiveness and grace and all of those things. But there's the expectation that I'm meeting him with repentance and obedience and trust. 
And that conversation of, am I really meeting God where he wants me to meet him? Am I doing the work of the prodigal that has come home to the father that realized where I was, I got up and I came home to him because I knew what I would find there. And my intent is to never, ever, ever leave him again. Is that really the life that I'm living? Or maybe it's the conversation that Tony Mock talked about last week when he was on the program from the 37th Psalm, where David is reassuring himself and reassuring those who would read his poems and sing these hymns that that they don't have to be afraid of what evildoers are doing. So many conversations that we have today with our brethren are about being afraid of what evildoers are doing. And it, it's the political conversations, it's the gripes about society, it's the fears that we have over what's going to happen with monetary policy and wars around the world and things yeah. like that. And so many of our conversations are about the anxieties and the fears that we have over those things. And yet you turn to the 37th Psalm and David says, and do not fret because of evildoers. Be not envious toward the wrongdoer, for they will wither quickly like grass and fade like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desire of your heart. He says in verse 7 of that same Psalm, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him and do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who carries out wicked schemes. I mean, he ends the psalm, well, not really ends it, but in the middle of the psalm, this is a long one, it's 40 verses. But in verse 25, he says, I've been young and now I am old, and I have never seen the righteous forsaken or his descendants begging bread. All day long he is gracious and lends and his descendants are a blessing. One of the conversations that men need to be having with themselves is what am I really afraid of? Do I really trust that God takes care of his people today? I hear Christians expressing a lot more fear than I do faith and confidence that God is able to do exactly what he promised to do. Where my mind always goes to Revelation every four years, it seems like I hear the same thing. This is the most mm-hmm. important election of our lifetimes. Is it really? Every four years, it's that same rhetoric. It's that fear-mongering that comes up. And Revelation, when you really read through it closely, look, I love America. I'd very much rather live here than really anywhere else in the world. Mm -hmm. But I taught through Revelation. And one of the best things I ever did was just sit down and read chapter 1 through chapter 22 in one sitting. Uninterrupted, just read the whole vision, get a picture for what's there. And to just know, as much as I love this country and I love the way my life as an American citizen, but you know what? I don't need America to exist to thrive as a Christian. I don't need the government to grant me religious freedom to be victorious in Christ. As as good as those things are, it's not life or death. Well, (laughs) in in first century Rome, it was life or death. So I I guess I should have some perspective there. But just thinking about today. I can thrive as a Christian no matter what the political environment is, no matter what happens here. God is victorious, but we need to trust in him, be faithful to death, and let him work through things in his own time. Yeah. Just continue to trust in him. Part of that is our internal monologue that (laughs) internally, are we communicating to ourselves, look, God's able to deal with this and he's going to deal with it. 
I'm, I, I may not see it, but God's going to deal with it. He's able to deal with it. I know what his promises are. Internally, the conversations we have with ourselves, the conversations that we don't think have a spiritual overtone to them, where we're just talking about the government or we're just talking about elections or we're just talking about what's going on in the world, do we communicate a trust in God there? Because that's really evidence, the evidence of our belief in God, is it not? Well, and the question we want to ask is, do, do I really believe in him? Yeah, I believe in heaven, but do I really believe in it? Like, if you really, really, truly believe in it, it's going to alter the way you live and the way you make your decisions. Right. Well, and I recently went through Haggai back home, and that's that's a book that we don't spend much time in, unfortunately. I, mm-hmm. I, I think it's a fantastic—the Minor Prophets are loaded with— application. They're they're almost written directly to the 21st century churches in America. And the question in Haggai is, is God the first priority in your life? And they were afraid to, to give him their best. They were afraid to build the temple. They built their houses first. And I think they were afraid of the future. And I think it's cool mm-hmm. that in Haggai chapter two, we read in Ezra that when they built the temple and laid the foundation, half the people cried who were old enough to remember the first temple. And no one really knew if the crowd was was mourning or rejoicing because the noise was so confusing. But in Haggai, it's God who brings this up. Who was left among you who saw this temple in its former glory? And how do you see it now? God is the one asking that question because I think right. he recognizes So you can look back in the past at your own personal failures, but sometimes you can look further back in the past and you can see the good old days in the generations that that you hear your grandparents and your parents talk about. And and you can see America was so much more conservative then. And there were were a lot more people going to church back in the 60s and 70s. And I can hear stories about my grandpa, Bill, and, and just having so much evangelistic success, every congregation he went to, and we, like them, we could look back at the past and see the glory days and think, I don't have such good feelings about our future as I do about looking back in the past. And God would say, trust me, like he did to them, the, the, the latter glory of this temple is going to outshine the former. Even though you don't see that, he's saying, trust me. Build the temple, right. put me first, prioritize me first in your life, and just see what happens. Yeah. And that segues into the last question. I mean, what kind of conversations do we need to be having with God? And I, and that may seem like a strange question because I think for many of us, prayer feels like a one-sided conversation, that we're just we're putting out there what we want. We're putting out there what we believe about God. We're thanking him for things, but I think most of us struggle with, I think most Christians today struggle with really connecting what God is doing to the things that they're praying for. And and I go back, go ahead. I was going to say, in in prayer, it's certainly not that God needs something from us. We're, we're not God's informant as if we're cluing him in on things in our life that he doesn't know about or he's not already aware about. God knows what we need before we even ask him. So the question is, why do we bother to pray at all? For whose benefit is this prayer? Mm-hmm. Well, and I think the obvious thing is prayer is not so much about bending God's will 
And that's the way Jesus taught us to pray. Thy will be done. Prayer is about bending our will into conformity with God's. We should walk away from prayer, even though we're the ones vocally communicating, we should walk away from prayer with a, a, a clearer focus on the will of God. Mm-hmm. Uh, not, not trying to suggest anything like revelation or anything mystical sure. like that, but I think we should walk away from prayer with a clearer perspective, a, a clear focus on God's will. And prayer is very much for our benefit. It changes our perspective, or at least it should. Well, it, it changes our perspective, but it, it also... And I like to ask him those questions. Go ahead. Kind of yeah. like where we started this whole talk with, with, with our wives. How am I doing? Show me where maybe I'm, I'm focusing more on what I want out of this life. That's something Tony Mock was talking about last week when he was here, that too often, and, and we need to realize that while we may not change the will of God, that doesn't mean that God does not intervene in the circumstances of our lives. I mean, Jesus very, very clearly says in Luke 18 that the, the drawing on that parable, the persistent widow, that when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? That our pouring out our cares, our concerns, our worries to God, we're not making him aware of things that he's unaware of, but we are building a stronger relationship with him. Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 5 that we should cast all our cares upon him because he, we know that he cares for us, that, that we... that. The, that conversation should be a release from anxiety. It ought to be comforting to, to know when we're praying, okay, I brought this to God, and his will in his way is going to be right. And we can be persistent. I mean, that was the whole point of the parable is be persistent in that. But I wonder how many times David asked that question that we referenced earlier from, what was it, Psalm 15, that who made abide in your tent who may dwell on your holy hill. And, and I love Psalm 15. It's, you might look at Psalm Proverbs 31 as, as the text. When you have boys, you, you, you kind of show them this, like, like the text suggests, this is, this is who you want to marry. Well, for my girls, Psalm 15 is, is the, the Proverbs 31 equivalent. I want to go through this text and show them this is, this is the kind of character you want to be, you want to be looking for it when you get to that point. Yeah. We want God to reveal our shortcomings to us. We want him to take away any unclean way. We want to, we want to have that relationship with him. Just like Will feels comfortable talking to me about anything, even things that to me, like we mentioned earlier, our kids, sometimes the, the conversations seem kind of mundane, but they ought to be special to us because our kids wanting to have this conversation with us. So it may be about the latest Roblox game, or it may be about some new thing that's coming out on the switch that he really, really, really has to have because all the other kids are going to have it, dad. But he's telling me things about himself in that conversation. He's telling me where he gets his validation from. He's telling me how important certain things are to him. And sometimes I think, Hmm, maybe the video games are a little too important and we need to, cut back on those a little bit, and he doesn't know that that's what I'm thinking. But other times I can see, okay, this is something that he really, really needs this, or he really, really wants this thing, and I, there's no problem in him having that. I mean, God deals with us the same way. It's relationship building. David knew that in the Psalms, that Solomon knew that. I mean, you see that in the Proverbs. 
how many times are we told to listen to instruction and bind words to our neck and things like that, that God knows that. God knows. And the conversation that we need to be having with God, and I think comes back to, and as you mentioned earlier, the same conversations that we have with our wives and our kids, and maybe even ourselves to a degree, how am I doing? And, and do I look like your child? Vulnerability seems to be the common thread in, in each of these conversations we've talked about. Yeah. Is Vulnerability is really open ourselves up and, and look in the mirror and be honest. Yeah. What's strange about that is when that book I told you about crucial conversations, when I walked away from that, I thought, this is all telling you very practical ways of engaging in empathy and vulnerability. And if you're not willing to bring vulnerability and empathy to, to the conversations that matter the most, you're not going to have them. And that may be one of the reasons why we struggle so much with prayer is because vulnerability and empathy are hard. I think you nailed it. It really does come down to vulnerability and empathy. And it's the same kind of thought that you see in James 1 about all of these conversations come down to are we willing to look in the mirror and say, how am I really doing? So I'm going to give you the last word, Kyle. What do you want to say to the audience before we wrap this up? Whatever conversation you're having, be open, be willing to take some punches. Don't become too defensive right away. When, when something is, is revealed about you that is unpleasant, I'm not saying take everyone at their word. Someone might give you a criticism that isn't just or fair. Sure. But don't immediately come out with your defenses up, with shields mm -hmm. engaged. Go ahead and maybe you, you think about something someone told you in a conversation and, okay, I, I don't really agree with that. I don't think they're right about me. But start with that attitude of let's consider whether it's talking with my wife, my children, myself, or with God. If I see something unpleasant about myself, let that settle in a little bit and, and, and think about it. Mm -hmm. Don't just immediately dismiss it or get your defenses up. So be vulnerable and be willing to see your flaws because that's the only way you're going to be able to think of a strategy to move on from it or, or work on it and yeah. be a better vessel to glorify God. Yeah, and I think that's our aim, particularly when it comes to the conversations we're having with our wives and our children, is to help them attain what we're striving for. And let's not lose sight of that. And that may mean difficult conversations. That may mean unpleasant conversations. But what it should never mean is going on the attack and losing that focus. Well... I appreciate you being here today, buddy. It was a lot of fun, even though we had a lot of internet interruptions, but I can sort of hear the kiddos in the background over there. It sounds like they're ready for a little dad time. I know you're ready to see your parents. Yeah. Well, I went ahead and opened the door. So that's the only way I'm getting a solid internet. So <laughs> I, um, I, I think they build the houses up here with lead line doors. That's the only explanation yeah. I've got. <laughs> well, and I'm going to, I'm going to take a four or five hour long nap. So I'll be a little more sharp tonight when I'm preaching, but, uh, I appreciate you pulling me along as, as I'm kind of still waking up. I don't know what it is about sitting in a car. I'm so physically exhausted. I did nothing but sit for 15 hours yesterday, uh, but I'm physically exhausted. It's the road noise. It's the road noise. It, it just, you're in that zone of wanting to go to sleep and you know you can't. 
Well, and I had to see parts of California that nobody wants to see. And by the time I got to Oregon, where you do want to look around at the scenery, it was dark. Oh, so I didn't yeah. plan my trip very well either. Well, we're glad you're here. We're looking forward to hearing you tonight. All right, guys, it's time that we wrap this up. Kyle's got important visiting and napping to get to so that he can feel rested and ready to preach tonight. But I want to thank all of you for being here. I want you to remember to check out Biblically Speaking, our YouTube program, where we talk about our lives and how we live them in God's Word. we got some challenging topics coming up there. I'm doing some filming after I get done with this episode for a couple of episodes of Biblically Speaking. And... Be sure to check out the blog. we got some things going on there. That's jaredbolman.blog. So check that out. But as always, from all of us here at Man Up to all of you out there, have a good day. God bless. And Man Up. Dismissed!